This morning, we're going to be talking about hearing God through prophecy. Uh, the year is 1988. I am uh, almost 24, and I have been in ministry as a youth pastor and worship leader for just about two years. And my good friend, Jim Newsom invites me to come down and to speak at his church in Orlando, Florida. Orlando Covenant Church, right? And uh, in that time, I was supposed to come and, and connect with their worship team and, and give them all the amazing wisdom and knowledge that I had of them all my 23 and a half years. And you know, it was a wonderful time of getting to know them. And it was at that moment that I met a 16-year-old young man named Jamie Johnson. He's sitting over there right now. He's not 16 anymore, <laughs> nor am I 24. <clears throat> and he was playing a drum set that they happened to have. And I didn't know that any of the musicians would be able to play with me that time. And so I went up to him and said, wow, you play the drums. Uh, I've always been looking for drummers my whole life. Ask Will Duke, ask Josh, ask Wade. I love drummers, Brian Watkins. And Jamie was a drummer, like, you gotta play with me tonight. And he was a little bit taken aback, but I talked him into it. And so he sat in and we led in worship and had a wonderful evening with that little church. It was great. It was a church of mostly ex-cons and people that Jim had led to the Lord. It was a great group of people. But in the midst of it, he heard that I was a youth pastor. And he thought, I'm a youth. And there weren't many youth in that church. And so he said, hey, can we spend some time together? And so that evening, we went off to a little place called the Village Inn. It's kind of like a Denny's maybe a scale up, I don't know, maybe a step down. I don't know, something in that category. And we're sitting there at the Village Inn and my heart just, it goes out to Jamie. I feel, listen, I'm a youth pastor. So I'm looking for drummers and I'm looking for young people. That's what my mission is. And I see a young person and I see God at work in him. But it went different this time. As I'm listening to him, he's 16, he's just met Jesus, and he's trying to decide what he's going to do, whether he should go back to Arizona where he's from or stay in Orlando where his mom lives. Should he go to ASU or go to UCF? And should he try study journalism or should he study uh, music? And he's talking all these things, and I don't know if y'all know this or not, but Jamie can talk. <laughs> and he's, he could at that time. And my heart was burning inside of me for what God was going to do with this young man. And so while he's talking, I, I felt that I should ask him this question. And I don't think I've ever asked this question of anybody else. It seems like a, a pretty innocuous question. But it was a question that I would say, and he would probably confirm, changed his life. I said, have you ever thought about working with young people? Now, he would tell the story and say, he said, do they pay you for that? <laughs> to which I said, not very well. <laughs> but that conversation, we were talking about it yesterday, it changed his life. It was a prophetic moment when God was saying something that would change a young man's life. I heard one pastor define prophecy as hearing God's voice on behalf of another. I like that. I also like the way Pete Gregg puts it. He says, prophecy is God speaking through us into the lives of others. 
Now this morning, I'm talking about prophecy, but I'm not so much talking about the prophetic utterance that we might hear in a gathering, or even the office of prophet, which are both very, very important. It could include those things, but this is something much bigger than just the office of a prophet or prophetic message that comes after worship. When Jamie and I met at the Village Inn that night, our conversation was so much more than small talk. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I have been known to prophesy. And that night, the Spirit spoke through me to him. And it was prophetic. And as we know, he's gone on to work with young people all over the world and continues to do so. God speaks through prophecy. Now, I realize that when I mention that, that God speaks through prophecy, that there can be all sorts of responses. Some of you are sitting here thinking, yes, finally, do it. Let's be prophetic and let's get weird. <laughs> Only Jay could amen, oh, let's get weird. <laughs> I love you, Jay. And you're thinking, finally, we're going to focus on this. And the more, the better. And you're all for it. And I kind of agree with you. But there are others sitting here, and prophecy makes you more cautious and concerned than hopeful or excited. Maybe you were taught that such things are no longer valid for today's Christian experience. Or maybe you had a personal experience that uh, it really weirded you out. Or it put you on the spot or brought about confusion. And so when you hear the idea of prophecy, you see it as more dangerous than you do helpful. And still there are others of us sitting here who have very little context at all for what I'm saying. You're like, you mean God speaks to you, through you to other people? Cool, that sounds great. I'm all for it. Whatever group you're in, Whatever camp you're in, I, I hope to speak to you, the enthusiast, the critic or skeptic, and the uninitiated. I hope that what we see this morning, you will see that God's word is not only filled with prophecy, but that it affirms that prophetic utterance, prophetic movement, and a spirit of prophecy is still relevant and necessary today. I hope that that's what you'll hear. Let's, let's start with the Bible. That's always a good place to start, a biblical framework for prophecy. And we're gonna go all the way back to Genesis 1, at the very beginning. And we're gonna go all the way through the Bible. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. When he said it, it was done. In verse 2, the phrase, the Spirit of God was hovering. That word spirit is translated from the Hebrew word ruach. Now I'm doing that gently. There's a whole lot more throat involvement there. 
but I don't think I need to be doing that considering the congestion that I have this morning. <laughs> Ruach, which can be translated as spirit, but also wind and breath. The Ruach, oop, I did it. The spirit of God, the breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Pastor Tyler Staten, who is in Portland, Oregon, has done great work on this subject. And along with uh, his friend, Tim Mackey, much of what I'm saying here today really comes from them, and I'm appreciative of them and their work. Tyler says, this describes God breathing on the unformed chaos. And as he said, when God breathes on chaos, creation happens. Something new happens. As his spirit, his ruach, his breath hovered over the waters. He speaks, let there be light, and there is light. And throughout that chapter, God just keeps on speaking. He keeps on speaking things into existence. He speaks, and it's created. It's chaos, and now it's order. He speaks and adds moon and stars and land and sea and plants and animals and all of it was created by God's spoken word. And each time God said, it is good. We turn the page to chapter two. Here's what happens next, verse seven. Then the Lord, formed, Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. It all starts with the spirit or breath of God hovering over the waters. And then God breathes out his word and creates. And now he breathes into man and he lives. Do you, do you see the connection? Do you see that there is a pattern here, right? Anyone? All right, good. Just making sure I'm running the right crew. I'm making sure. His spirit, his breath, his Speaking creates what is good. And man who has received his breath, the breath of life is commanded to then go and do as he has done to create because the first command is be fruitful and multiply. To do what the creator himself has done. And God says, this is really good. This is as I intended it, that my spirit, my breath, the spirit of God would not only hover, but the word of God would come forth and be seen in creation and things would exist that were not there before. And man who is made in my image, the image bearer of God would have the very breath, the spirit of God in him to do as the creator had done. But of course, there's another chapter. If we could stop at chapter two, we wouldn't be here. But chapter three tells us something bad happened. It spells disaster. They rebel against God. They eat from a tree that God had said to not touch, to not eat of that fruit. You could eat anything else, but not that one. And they show their own rebellious heart as they're led into temptation by Satan the serpent and they fall from grace. They rebel and God's intent that they would have his breath of life 
was stolen from their lungs. And surely they will die. I'm not sure any of us would go on breathing over the chaos if what we had created did that to us. I know if I were God, we'd end at chapter two or three. Three would be done and we think, okay, that experiment didn't work. Let's move on to the next thing. But that's not what God does. God keeps on speaking just as he did from the beginning. He goes about redeeming mankind the very same way he created us. He speaks by his breath, by his word, by his spirit. He continues in his purpose doing what he always has done. He speaks and breathes his spirit towards us. Now, we see this throughout the New Testament, Old Testament. I, I wish I had time to see a lot of them. I just want to draw out one time. And if you want to look with me at Numbers 11, this is a fascinating time when God speaks. Numbers 11 and verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And we just read that. That is so powerful. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. While it was common for Moses to have this experience where the Lord came down and met with him face to face. The people had seen it. They had witnessed it. It's what validated Moses' leadership among them when they wanted to do stupid things. They saw that God blessed Moses and they somewhat got in line when they could. But Moses has had this experience and the cloud comes down and he And he hears from God. And then he turns and takes what he has heard, the word of God, to the people. This is the pattern by which they lived all of those 40 years in the wilderness. God would speak to Moses. He would go with veiled face. And then he would declare what God had said. But today, this time, something different happens. Moses gathers with 70 of the elders of the men and they're assembled around the tent of meeting. This is at the instruction of God. You can read earlier in the chapter and it says that. And as they're assembled around the tent of meeting, the Lord takes some of the spirit, the Ruach, and he puts it on each of those 70 elders. That's a fascinating thing. I'm just wondering if the Spirit of God ever hit one of us, how much we'd love for it to get in on that whatever's going on with that person. And they're getting in on it. They're with him. And now the same Spirit that has been meeting with Moses, a portion of that Spirit is being distributed to each of them. And what happens? They prophesy. They start speaking the word and praise of God. They start lifting him high. They start praising his name, prophetically uttering the revelation that God is pouring into them. 
this must have been an amazing scene. But we had this disclaimer. They did not continue doing it. That's not because they didn't want to. It's not that they were disinterested. It's that they didn't have the same spirit. It was temporary. It's great news that after the fall, God keeps speaking, putting his spirit on key people to proclaim his words. It's not so good news that it was only for a few and that it doesn't seem to last that long. What's really interesting to me is that at the end of chapter 11 of Numbers, Moses is told that there were actually two others that were prophesying. They're in the camp. They didn't come out with the 70. They weren't selected. They're just two ordinary guys. We give their names, Eldad and Medad. Sounds like some country folk to me, Eldad and Medad. And they start prophesying in the camp while the 70 are prophesying outside around the tent of the meeting. And Joshua, the assistant to Moses, doesn't like it. And he says, Moses, you got to shut this down. They are not authorized to prophesy. They are unauthorized to speak such words. And here's what Moses says to him. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I love Moses' heart, but you gotta know that's a prophecy. He's prophesying right there. Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that he would put his spirit on them. Moses longs for a day when the spirit, the Ruach, will come upon all of his people, not just the designated one, not just the 70 leaders, but all of us. And when the spirit rests upon us, what would be the response? The same that they had. We would declare and prophesy the praises of God and use by the Holy Spirit, be used of God to speak his word into the lives of other people. Fast forward to Jesus, because it's all about Jesus, who came as the living word, the spoken word of God in human form. In fact, Jesus embodies all that is prophetic. If there's ever a prophecy that you hear that doesn't have Jesus at the center, you might want to question it. You might want to wonder if that's really true prophecy or not, because all prophecy should point to Jesus after he rose from the dead, we read, read in John 20, this is what happened. And when he had said this, what happened? He breathed on them, on his disciples. <sighs> he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and they got the spirit as it had been intended at the beginning. In the words of Tim Keller, Jesus is the true and better Adam. Having received the breath of life and not letting sin steal it from his lungs, he breathed it out on his followers. What could have been seen as a disaster was actually redemption and Jesus fulfilled God's intention from the very beginning. What God meant in creation, he fulfilled in our redemption. And it continues throughout the life of the early church, like on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit comes down 
and like tongues of fire and it rests upon 120 followers of Jesus in the upper room. And what do they start doing? Prophesying. They start speaking his praises and his word and they do it in languages that they don't know. They do it in unfamiliar tongues and this, when Peter stand, finally stands up, Peter, that ragtag guy that had failed so many times, stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit and prophetically speaks a message that is famous. And 3,000 are added to their, their number that day. And he says in that message, this is what the prophet Joel foretold. He said it this way in quoting it, and it shall come to pass, Joel said, it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, my ruach, same word, ruach, on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. What was once experienced by only a few is to be experienced by all. It's to be experienced by all who have the spirit of God in them. The breath of God breathes into them. Our response should be to raise up our voices and declare prophetically the praises of him who saved us. He breathes his spirit into us that we might do as Moses and Samuel and Gideon and David and the judges and the prophets did that we might speak the word of God into the lives of others. Paul picks up the same promise and he continues into the New Testament. He fulfills uh, or he gives instruction to fulfilling this promise to the church in Corinth when he writes this in 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Verse three says, for the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I'm always reminded when I read this verse, I gave a message a few years ago about this. That phrase spiritual gifts in the Greek is pneumatikos, pneumatikos. It's where we get the word pneumatic. And so, again, I was getting my tires rotated the other day on Friday, and I'm in the shop, and what do I hear? I hear that mechanic out there using a pneumatic drill to take my tire off the car. And you know the sound, right? You want me to do it? <laughs> You're all waiting in anticipation. <laughs> It takes it off so quickly. I mean, they got like five or six lug nuts. Tires off. Put the tire back on. It's done. Why does that work so fast? Because it's air infused. It's breathing something in it to make it go better and faster and stronger and more effective than just a wrench. A lug wrench. Okay, I get to twist that one. Great. What? That's what the spirit does. Spiritual gifts are pneumatic tools in our arsenal. They push us beyond what we could do in our own strength. There's all sorts of pneumatic tools, not just at the auto mechanic shop. They have tools like um, rock drills. 
or jackhammers or riveters. These are things that work powerfully with this pressurized air or gas that makes something happen that probably couldn't be done as quickly or as effectively on your own. Sounds like Holy Spirit power to me. And when Paul says, earnestly desire, desire that. Desire the spirituals, the spiritual gifts that God has given to us because it will make what we are called to do so much easier. Prophecy is a pneumatic gift operated under the power of the spirit. And Paul says, we should earnestly desire those, all of them. I'm not saying you're gonna get all of them. I'm not trying to argue whether you should get all of them. What I'm saying is I wanna earnestly desire all of them because he says that's what I should do, especially prophecy. I can give reasons why I don't have certain things when others think that I should. I don't know that that's a real good issue, but what I do want to do is earnestly desire what he wants to give me. That pneumatically, pneumaticos, the spiritual gifting has power that puts me where I need to be. All of this is why I teach the prophecy and the other miraculous gifts and we believe as a church are still being given by the Spirit and they should all still be operating in the church today. And as I say that, I realize that there are Christians and denominations and groups that do not hold to that belief. And I'm not here to criticize or to be judgmental. I have some dear brothers that, that do not believe this. They believe that these gifts were certainly a part of the early church and that they were necessary, but they believe that it's now God's plan to end or cease their use, that we now have all that we need in scriptural form and we don't need prophetic utterance anymore. And we don't need certain power and demonstration of power gifts as they had in the New Testament church. I think their major concern is that if people get to hear for themselves what God is saying, it will lead to really wacky behavior. And let's be honest, it sure has. It has. The last two elections have proven that on multiple occasions. And I understand their concern. They see the written word as the revealed word of God. And I do too. And they understand that if people start having subjective messages that don't line up with the word, it's going to get really weird really quick. And honestly, those things can be used to manipulate people and to lead people astray. And I think we should put all the guardrails up against that that we can. That's why I don't think you should ever take just a prophetic word as the only basis of what God is saying to you. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, and it doesn't line up with those that you're walking with, accountable to, in fellowship with, being submitted one to another. And if it doesn't line up with what you're sensing the Spirit is saying to you yourself, then don't listen to it. I thought there'd be an amen there. <laughs> I get it. I get the concerns. I've had a few people over the years tell me that they had a word from God for me. And they didn't. <laughs> it was not. The New Testament has a remedy for this kind of thing. Paul tells us in his letters that we are to judge prophecy and that we're to weigh, assess, and evaluate even those who prophesy. 
And if what they've said doesn't build up, doesn't encourage, and doesn't bring comfort, which is what Paul says they should in 1 Corinthians 14, then don't listen to it. Don't embrace it. The last thing God wants us to be is naive and undiscerning. He gave us the spirit to discern spirits. And so we can use what we've been given to even judge a prophetic word that may be given. And if they're a loose cannon and they have no spiritual authority and they come running in and thinking they have the prophetic word of the day, I have a red flag go up right away. Because if you're unwilling to be submitted one to another, as scripture says, if you're unwilling to hear correction, if you're unwilling to listen to another, I don't really think that you're the prophet we need to hear from. But while we should not be gullible, we also shouldn't be skeptical. Refusing to acknowledge the Lord when he ministers through gifts given to us by his spirit for the building up of the body, wouldn't we want that? Don't you want that? I do. I just can't accept the idea that the spiritual gifts, the pneumaticos, have an expiration date. I just don't think that lines up with God's character. He is a relational God. He talks to us. He started about speaking. I don't think he stopped. If I loved my wife and didn't just wrote her a letter and said, this is all you need about me for the next 30 years, that wouldn't go so well. We like ongoing communication. And I think God likes ongoing communication with us too. God, who's been speaking from the beginning and breathing his spirit over our chaos, I don't think he stopped talking. And I believe the promise of the Holy Spirit and his gifts, including prophecy, were not only for the early disciples, but they are also for today. I think everything should be done in order. I think everything has room for judgment, for assessment and evaluation. If you receive a word from someone and it doesn't line up with you, I encourage you to take that to someone else, someone you're being discipled by, someone that you're in submission to, a leader, a pastor, a parent, and say, what is, does this sound good to you? Does this seem what the Spirit is saying? Because out of that, you can hear the counsel of the Lord in it. We're not going to make it all 100% when it comes to prophecy. I don't think prophets get rated on Google, but they should. We should give them five stars or one star or no stars. We should, we should have a ranking, but we don't. But we do have the spirit that can help us in these things. Now, I wanna conclude the same way I started. <clears throat> I wanna conclude by sharing some of my own experiences and how God, through prophecy, has guided me in my life. I was 15 years old, living in New Mexico with my parents. I'd been saved for eight years, filled with the Holy Spirit, and had a burning passion for leading worship. As I've already told you, that was something God did fulfill. But at 15 in Roswell, New Mexico, which is kind of podunk nowhere, except for the aliens, they live there. <laughs> I was wondering, where should I go? Where should I go to school? What should I do? I, what God do you have for me? My mom and dad went up to see a conference in Albuquerque and Bob Mumford was speaking. And before he spoke, this amazing couple that the Connollys know 
Ken and Jeannie Veltz, along with their friend Sid Hausnick. They got up with their guitars and began singing a song and it was so anointed. My parents were so moved. My mom was especially moved and she leaned over to my dad in a prophetic way said, Chris needs to be discipled by people like that. Seems like an innocuous thing to say, but it was a prophetic utterance. It was God speaking through her into my life. And so my dad immediately went up after the meeting and talked with him. They're moving to Mobile, Alabama. They put him in contact with a guy that's a friend of ours, Garrett Gustafson. And before I knew it, graduating from high school at 17, I was moving 1,100 miles away to be discipled by people like that. Fast forward a few years, I'm back home. My parents have now moved to Midland, Texas, and I'm there, 1920. I'm home for the holidays, and I go to church with them, and the man that I had never seen before in my life didn't know me, I didn't know him. He gets up at the end of the message. An apostolic leader is speaking, and he has this guy get up, and he says he's a prophet. I was like, well, this will be interesting. Let's see. And so he stands up, and he begins pointing to people and giving them prophetic words. And as he does, there seems to be a real uplifting, up build, building up spirit in the place. And I'm thinking, they seem to be receptive. Nobody's throwing anything at him. And then he points at me. I've never met this guy before. And he points to me and he says, God has spoken to your heart and called you out for his purpose. And then he begins to go on and tell me things that really had only been happening in my heart. I've told you about this, how God was using scripture just months before, passages in 1 Corinthians and in Acts, where it said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And where it was said of David and he served God's purpose in his own generation. And those verses have been popping off the page at me and they've been seared in my heart, but I hadn't talked to anybody about it. And now this strange man in West Texas is telling me, what God had already been doing in my heart. Fast forward a few more years, Don and I are getting married. I had asked her not to cry at our wedding. I thought that would, it was a happy moment. We shouldn't be crying. And so she promised she wouldn't. She cried it all out before. She prayed, she didn't cry, but she brought a hanky just in case. I didn't bring anything, which was a mistake. We got up there and Charles Simpson was doing our wedding, church in Mobile, 600 people. Most of them I didn't even know. John and Ellen knew everybody. And so we had a lot of people at our wedding that I didn't know. <laughs> and it was a wonderful day. But Charles had us kneel down where we were gathering, where we were taking communion. And he began to pray over us. And it was this very nice prayer of, you know, Lord bless them and their union and their covenant and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden it was like a shift. Like he went into fifth gear and he put his hands on my head and he started prophesying about what God would do in my life and in our life together in ministry. We weren't there about ministry, but God used him in that moment to speak God's word into my life. Fast forward a few more years. The same year that I met Jamie. And I'm out in Portland, Oregon with a man named Wendell Smith who was a pastor leader with Dick Iverson. 
who went on to start a church in Seattle. His son, Judah Smith, now pastors it. City Church. I think they changed the name again. Anyway, Wendell is there and he's ministering to all these youth pastors and there are about a hundred of us there. And there's all these different leaders around and Charles had said to me as our pastor, I think you should go. And I went and I was really like a duck out of water. I didn't know if I belonged. And I'm standing there the first night of the conference and he's talking about capturing the hearts of a new generation and pouring your life out for the purposes of God. And my heart is starting to stir. And there in the presence of God, he looks at me and starts praying for me. Again, I didn't know him. He knew I was Charles Simpson's youth pastor, but I, I didn't know him. And he started prophesying over me about what God would do and how he would use me in his kingdom. And he said this, and I've said it to you before, but it bears repeating. He said, and you will be like a man carrying embers. When I saw Germa's fire seeds conference up here, Donna said, that's like your embers, your bag of embers. You'll be like a man carrying a bag of embers. And as you spread them where you go, they will ignite into flame everywhere. I met Jamie just a few months later. That's just one ember that ignited into flame. Donna and I are not only who we are because of what we've been taught in the Bible. We are who we are because we've been prophetically shaped by his spirit. And so are you. God breathing over our chaos giving his spirit in words of direction and correction, the spirit speaking to us and speaking through us. And I'll add my earnest desire to that of Moses and Paul that all of this community would earnestly desire the pneumaticos, the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Because God may use you to speak a word in somebody's life in the most random, strange time. But if we are in tune with his spirit and he has breathed upon us and we are walking in the spirit, we must be ready to share God's word into someone's life. You may think it's weird. You may think it makes no sense. That guy that was prophesying over me in West Texas didn't know me from Adam, but his words were true because it was God that had given it, given it to him to give to me. I pray that our community can be that kind, breathing out the spirit of God as it has been breathed into us, that we might build up and we might encourage and we might comfort those God has called us to walk with. May it be so, amen. My wife is gonna come and we're gonna pray for you. I know it's been a little bit longer this morning and I took a little bit longer but I think the Lord is here speaking to us. So Donna's gonna share and then we're gonna pray. I loved the words um, in, that, uh, in the 14th chapter that you were reading out of in Corinthians when it talks about why we would prophesy. Mm. And so this is my paraphrase. <laughs> but if you need comfort, mm. if you need courage, If you need faith, if you need to grow up or be built up in Christ, 
then you're hungry for prophecy. Yes, that's right. Because that's what it does. And if you've been prophetically shaped by the Spirit, love that language, and He has breathed over your chaos and created something, then you have comfort, courage, faith to give. That's right. I love these kinds of words because everybody has a spot. That's right. There's no reason for you to leave today without something. Either because you get to join him in his work and give what you have, or because you came empty and now you get to go away full. Yes. So I'm going to pray for us that you find your spot and you don't go away empty. If you're here this morning and the Lord is speaking to you, the Spirit of God is hovering over your chaos. And you've got a spot that you need faith, you need courage, you need comfort. If you're empty and need to be filled, if there's a lack in you and you're not sure how it's going to be filled, but you know that only he can do it, then we want to pray for you right now. And I, I just want wherever you are, if you would just stand to your feet so we can say to the Lord, here we are, Lord, we need faith. We need building up. We need comfort. We need courage. We're empty and we need what you have. Speak, Lord. Let the Ruach, the Spirit of God, hover over us right now. Lord, we pray, we pray, God. We're going to pray now. Father, we're aware of your spirit in this place, hovering over our chaos. That's something we can all identify with. And in the place where you reside, all the power to create something out of nothing Mm. is here. All the power to call the bitter sweet, to make a hard heart, one that's soft like flesh, to turn the rebellious into the submitted, to turn the lost into the found. We welcome you. We open our hearts, our minds, our wills to be moved on by your creation. To come and comfort and edify, and grow, and encourage, and cause our faith to rise. Yes. That impossible things are possible. Yes. 
I pray for our ability to receive and for our obedience with what we will receive. 